pastor here at Wayfinder St. Mar- uh, Kyle and also at Wayfinder St. Marcus. And uh, for those, oh, sorry, Todd. Uh, for those of you who are um, thinking, you're the pastor here and I've never even seen you, we do spend most of our time um, over um, in St. Marcus, not because we like them better, but that's just where my my uh, 20-year-old daughter was plugged into first. So anyway, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. And uh, God is good, isn't he? Amen. Uh, well, as you know, we are in a series called Masterpiece, and we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and today we are going to finish up that series by looking at um, Ephesians 6. So let me pray for us real quick. Father God, I just thank you for um, your church, God, for showing up, and God, I just pray that you would be with us as we um, learn today, Lord, as we read from your word, and God, I pray that we would open our hearts and our minds to what you would have to say us today, Lord. I pray that you would take me completely out of the way, that we wouldn't, nobody would see me, but they would just hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a friend um, that told me a story about her friend. She's this friend that I have. She likes to tell me about all of her other friends. I don't know why, but she tells me, I think I know more about her friends than I know about her. She's not a gossip, but she just tells me what she thinks are important things about them. And she told me that her friend had her wisdom teeth taken out. Does that sound funny? Am I good? Okay, it's echoing in my ear, that's why I asked. Um, Anyway, she told me that her friend had her wisdom teeth taken out, and the last thing that the doctor said to her on her pre-op appointment was, do not eat anything or drink anything 12 hours before you come in. And so she went in, and they said, have you eaten or drinking anything in the last 12 hours? And she had forgotten, and she had had a cup of coffee and a bagel. And so she said she doesn't know what she was thinking, She thought she was crazy for telling the truth, but the truth just popped out, and she said, yes, I did. I had breakfast. So they said, well, you're not going to be able to be put under then. And she wanted to say, wait, wait. I mean, I ate last week. It wasn't this morning. It wasn't this morning. But they they only could give her local anesthesia, anesthesia then. And so she had to be awake. And even though they numbed her mouth, I guess they didn't numb it well enough or whatever. But she said that is the worst pain that she has ever felt. And she said it was it was like having birth, her two times that she gave birth, all in the same combined, that the pain was so big. I can't even imagine because I have to get the gas mask just to get my teeth cleaned. I'm that scared of the dentist. But um, last instructions are important then, right? And if they're coming from somebody who knows what they're talking about, like the Apostle Paul, we better pay attention to them. So it is really vital to notice that Paul ends this whole letter to the Ephesians by urging them to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not Paul's, but the Lord's. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is Ephesians 10 through 20. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions 
with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So Paul says here that our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world. In other words, our struggle is against evil in this world. Now, Paul here is not talking about uh, a a devil with, with horns and a red face or projectile vomiting and heads spinning around um, like it shows us in the movie, if only it were that obvious. No, our evil is more subtle. It comes from the form of anger, in the form of anger, resentment, resentment, bitterness, contempt, pride. It comes in the form of a society telling us that romantic love and sexual pleasure are the keys to fulfillment. It is in the thought that money is the key to success and to happiness, that busyness makes us important, that life is about you and about me and what we deserve, that there is no hope for you, that there's no hope for me, that I've messed up too bad, that you've messed up too bad, that the standard of the Bible are different, are for a different time and place. It appears as as a voice in your head saying, just one look won't hurt. That you don't have what it takes, that no one will ever know, that God has abandoned you, that church is not important, that you don't matter, that grace is for other people, but not for you or for me. It comes in all kinds of forms like that. When evil is subtle like that, we don't even see it coming. And sometimes we don't even recognize it. That is why Paul writes his final instruction to us like a battle cry. Because whether we want to admit it or not, we are in a battle uh, for righteousness. And the spiritual armor that Paul is talking about is simply a way of applying the gospel or the mind of Christ to a different part of your life. And Paul's been teaching us that in all six chapters. So this is not new, but... The gospel is the power of God in your life and the way God helps us to stand firm and to persevere. The way we do do that is by establishing every part of our life, our hopes, our dreams, our failures, our worries, our fears, our relationships, our pleasures, our disappointments, not only in the word of God, but in God himself. The flip side of this is that whatever you do not establish in the word, whether it's your marriage, your job, your dreams, your kids, whatever is not saturated in the mind of Christ is a place where the subtleness of evil can seep in. So Paul says, saturate yourself with the gospel that I'm teaching you, and it will be the armor of God against evil. To be saturated with the gospel, the mind of Christ, is to be filled with the spirit and thus resilient to attacks And when we are filled with the Spirit, we are able to stand firm. So Paul gives us two commands at the beginning. He says in verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's look at both of those briefly. Verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Well, when we go into battle, I think it's natural for us to all want to come in from a position of strength, right? Who would ever go into a battle 
uh, from a position of weakness. For example, when you think about the future, you want to have a, a thick 401k plan, a really hefty one, right? And you want to have a great job so that you're strong financially. Uh, if you're a student, you want to think about the jobs that you can do uh, about your future where you're strong in talent, right? You want to have a strong talent to do that job well. If you're needing to make a decision, you want to be strong in wisdom to be able to make that decision. Um, if you're trying to raise kids, you want to be strong in the ability to guide and shape them. But what the gospel teaches us is counterintuitive because it teaches us not to be strong in ourselves, but to be strong in the Lord. Let him be our strength and our power and our security in every area. The gospel is opposite of being strong in yourself. A great example of this in the Bible is Abraham. God told Abraham that he was going to have uh, millions of descendants, right? Well, the problem with this was Abraham was 90 and his wife Sarah was 75. And even miracles of modern medicine today wouldn't fix that problem. But, God, but Abraham trusted God and he was indeed, he did indeed have descendants in the millions. So because Abraham was weak physically, he had to be strong in God to stand where you are weak, covered in God's strength. And you won't do that unless you're convinced of your own weakness. That starts with our righteousness. What makes us accessible to God? Because we are sinners, the only way to ever be good enough to stand before God is for God to give us his righteousness, his righteousness as a gift. The good news is it's offered freely for everyone. But the bad news is a lot of people won't receive it because they don't really think they need it. They are strong in their own sense of righteousness. They think they are good enough. I know people like this. I'm, I'm a good person, right? But that, that sense of strength keeps them from receiving the gifts that God has to offer them. But however, when you are weak in your righteousness, you'll helplessly look to God for strength and for his righteousness. In the same, it's the same with every other dimension of your life. You are worried about your family, about your kids turning out right, about your marriage. Do, can you sense a theme here? I talk about my kids a lot. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to turn things over to God, right? Especially when it's things that are so important to you and you, and, and you know in your mind that he's able and he's got their best interests at heart but it's the, it's the free will that becomes the problem, right? And so you just hope that they make good decisions. You may want to have a tantrum. Um, so uh, if you're worried about your marriage, if you feel weak in your marriage, if you feel weak in raising your kids, congratulations. You're eligible for God's strength. Maybe you have a huge decision in front of you, not sure what to do. In other words, you feel weak to make that decision. Praise the Lord. You're going to be able to rely on God's strength. Don't be strong in your abilities, but put your confidence in him. Are you worried about financially being stable in the future? I think this is something that we all worry about. We can do one of two things. We can... Um, look at it through our own strength and try to get job security and pile up the money in our 401k. Or we can be strong in our confidence and give it to God. You cannot be strong in yourself and strong in God. I'm not saying don't save. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me there. 
But don't put all of your hopes in money, right? Be strong in God. And it is only when you sense where you sense your weakness that you will be strong in God. There is a very important truth about Jesus' life. Did you know that all of the miracles Jesus performed started with a problem? All of them. That's good news for us, you guys. Bad news is there's, there's no problem, there's no miracle. The only ones of us that are eligible for mighty displays of God's power are those of us that are weak with no problems. And by the way, if you don't have any problems, you don't need to listen to the rest of the sermon so you can go to lunch early. So those who look to themselves for strength will quickly find it in short supply. Those who are mighty in their confidence in God will find that his willingness to help and his power to do so are a deep, deep well that will never run dry. Now look at the next command. Paul, uh, put, sorry, uh, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, be, you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Again, this is how you apply verse 10. Putting on the armor is how you become strong in the Lord. Verse 13 says, stand firm with the belt of truth. So Paul uses um, the... Uh, the armor of Roman soldiers as an example for all of these things that we're going to go through. So the first one is uh, stand firm with the belt of truth. We put on the belt of truth by renewing our minds in God's truth, meaning we bring the truth of Scripture to mind when we're confronted with lies. We put it on by asking ourselves who or what has the final say in our life. When it comes to decisions I'm making, to how I navigate relationships, to how I parent, to how I work, to how I worship and believe, who or what has the final say in my life? Is it my feelings? In the final assessment, do I simply do whatever I feel like doing? Is it a person? In the final assessment, do I do what my boss, my spouse, my coworker wants me to do? Is it my culture? That's a scary one. In the final assessment, do I simply do whatever accords in the way that our world seems to work and think? Is it comfort? In the final assessment, do I simply do whatever is easiest for me and take the least amount of trouble? To fasten on the belt of truth is to give Christ the final say in our lives. Then Paul tells us to take up the breastplate of righteousness. Proverbs 4.23 instructs us, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it confession time. My kids think I'm a little bit crazy for a lot of reasons, but I do not let, I'm very strict about, I have been strict and I am strict about what they watch. So my poor 24-year-old, he was out of high school and on his own before I think he, I, that I knew that he watched a rated R movie. I'm sure that that's not the first time he watched it, but that I knew that he watched a rated R movie. My daughter's 20. I do not like her to watch rated R movies. I'm sure she's seen them. She doesn't tell me when she's seen them. Um, Megan is 15. I don't even like her to watch PG-13 movies most of the time because I believe that what you listen to, what you hear, what you watch, what you see, it affects our heart, right? I believe that with my whole heart. And I'm not, um, what's it called? I'm not a hypocrite because I don't, I try not to watch those things either. I always look up on um, pluggedin.com. If you looked at uh, the movies, it'll tell you exactly how many cuss words in there, how many this, how many that. But <laughs> don't laugh at me. It's true. But let me tell you why. 
because I wasn't a Christian until later in life, okay? I was 29 when I found the Lord, and I had a filthy mouth, a filthy mouth. Um, my parents, I'm just, I just did. My parents did, and I did, and hope they aren't watching. But um, <laughs> so whenever I, whenever I, I'm around all that profanity, I'm telling you, it's going to come out in the most inopportune times. It just is. So, if we are focused on the things of God, that will, will be our shield, our breastplate of righteousness. If we are focused on the things of world, of the world, that will be our undoing. Now, I'm not saying to you that profanity is going to be your undoing. It's mine. I don't know why. It just takes me to a dark place because I have history with it. But doesn't mean I'm not saying don't watch a movie with profanity. I'm just saying that what we put in our heart, what we put in our mind goes to our heart, right? Whatever you spend most of your time focused on, if it's not God, will be an easy way for the subtleties of evil to find their way in. And remember that at the beginning of this, we defined evil uh, as not as demon possession and all those things that it talks about in the Bible, because today it's much more subtle. It's just things that take you away from God and his plans for you. So also when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you begin to feel what God feels when he sees injustice and your heartbeat starts to beat with his heartbeat, which in turn gets you ready for the next piece of armor. Feet fitted for the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. The enemy hates when Christians talk about the saving power of the gospel to others because it advances the kingdom of God and, and upholds Jesus Christ. Instead of putting on the gospel of, sh- of peace as shoes, the enemy would rather us be barefoot or in slippers, right? Not venturing outside of what is comfortable to share. But we should be looking for opportunities to encourage others and to share what God has done in our lives. I'm a firm believer that we just tell our stories. That's how you tell the gospel is tell what the Lord has done in your life. You don't have to know everything the Bible says. You just need to know what the Lord has done in your life. And Revelation 12:11 says that we overcome the uh, word. We overcome by the word of our testimony. I believe that. The next piece of armor is the shield of faith. Paul says, above all, taking the shield of faith by which we extinguish the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield Paul is speaking of uh, is a, a leather um, breastplate that, uh, or uh, it was, sorry, not a breastplate, it was a leather round shield that the Roman soldiers would submerge into water um, to get it really soaked so that when the enemy would shoot those fiery darts, and they were really darts with fire on them, that they would be extinguished, that those flaming arrows would be extinguished. So the fiery darts of our enemy are the lies and the doubts that come our way. They might sound something like, the situation you're in is out of control. You have nothing but darkness and misery ahead. Or, that's it, you've messed up, you messed up too much to come back and have a significant life. Or your future is going to be a failure just like you are. Because of the mistakes you've made, God could never love you. Those are all lies that we need to recognize and extinguish by our faith. Faith in God revealed in Scripture. The benediction that Todd has been praying over you during the sermon series uh, in Ephesians 3 is something that Paul really wants us to get. Do we have that on on, um, the screen? That's okay. I was going to have you read it with me, but I will just read it to you guys. 
in Ephesians 3, and it says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Confidence in that love Christ has for us extinguishes every single dart of our enemy. Next, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. I feel like I'm kind of being repetitive here, but but Paul was repetitive too, so bear with me. Let the knowledge of your salvation dominate your thinking. When most of us hear the word salvation, we think of what? Going to heaven, right? Um, But friends, there is so much more to salvation than that. John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That means that he wants us not to wait until we get to heaven to enjoy our salvation. He wants us to have it in the fullest now. He wants us to understand how high, how wide, and how deep his love is for us. He wants us to have the confidence that no matter what we face, we can stand firm because he is with us and he is for us. What Paul means by the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The idea is that of of piercing or penetrating, uh, the word word of God reaches the heart, the very center of action, and it lays open the motives and the feelings of everyone it touches. Psalm 139, 23, 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any way, offensive way in me, and lead me into the way everlasting. That's what the word of God does uh, for us every time we open it, if we will let it. Most of us would say the Bible is important, but do we really live like we believe it? I found this story online. I thought it was a really interesting story. I don't know if it really happened, but it's from a, a, a well-known pastor um, named J.D. Creer, and um, he says that uh, Richard Dawkins, one of the world's most famous atheists, stood on his stage, I guess on, I don't know if it was on a Sunday morning or whatever, but stood on the stage and offered his church, not Richard Dawkins' church, but J.D. Greer's church, $3 million. He says, I will give you $3 million on one condition that you can never again touch the word of God. You can't read it, you can't listen to it, you can't teach it to your kids. Three million. At that point, like, your life would be set, right? Nobody took him up on it, not one person, because it's too valuable, so valuable that you wouldn't take any amount of money for it. So does it make sense? And I'm talking to myself here. The lazy and apathetic way that people study it learn it, and teach it to their kids. The more we know and understand the word of God, the more useful we will be, do, we will be in doing God's word, and the more effective we will be in standing firm. Finally, pray in the spirit on all kinds of occasions of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Okay, so an important qualification here. In the spirit, that doesn't mean that you're going to pray in some kind of trance for hours on end, not knowing what you prayed for because it was in some kind of language you didn't understand. That's not what we're talking about here when we say praying in the spirit. It's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about being filled with the knowledge of God's love. Prayer in the spirit, 
prayer full of confidence in God's love moves the hand that heals the world. Jesus' miracles in the Bible were often done in response to people who had the audacity to presume upon how gracious and how powerful he was. Prayer is the place where we most exemplify being strong in the Lord rather than being strong in ourselves. Can we be honest here? I think that a lot of us don't pray because we don't know how to pray. We don't believe that we do any good, or we don't know what we pray for. Or we just don't make it a priority because it's not our default response. But I think that maybe if we really understood what prayer is, our attitudes might change about prayer. Uh, Pastor Matt Chandler says, I don't think anyone, when you talk about prayer and praise, goes, I had no idea I was supposed to talk with God and praise him. I think we know. So what is it that needs to change in us so we can act on it? I think, honestly, the thing we miss most often is not the invitation to pray and praise, but the invitation to commune with the living God. I read that from time to time, and it just pierces me right here because I think we think of prayer as so many other things, but not communing with the living God. James 5, 13 through 18 says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is both powerful and effective. James is urging us, wherever we are, whatever our situation, to live our lives communing with the one true God in prayer. He's giving us the key to the relationship with God. He's saying, hey, no matter your circumstance, talk with God, pray to him, praise him, be in relationship with him, because that's where his power, his wisdom, and his grace pours out on us. Listen, prayer is the place where we, where we most exemplify being strong in the Lord rather than being strong in ourselves. It's the act of dependence on God, our turning to him, acknowledging that we need him, reminding ourselves of the truth of his word. When we pray, we are reminded of who God is, what he has done, of what he will do, and what he has promised. We are reminded that he is faithful, and we know that God will fulfill his promises in our lives and in the lives of others. Uh, There's theologian Soren Kierkegaard, I don't know if I said that right or not, But he says prayer does not change God. It changes him who prays. And it does change us, you guys. That is one important reason for prayer. We only need to look at the Psalms to see this. In so many Psalms, the author begins in a terrible state of mind. He's discouraged, depressed, um, overwhelmed by his circumstances. But during the prayer, something shifts in him or her and um, him. Um, but during the course of prayer, the circumstance, um, circumstances do not change, but the psalmist's attitude changes because they have been reminded of who God is and his past action. Prayer changes us for the better. And just because it was all men that wrote the Bible, ladies, doesn't mean that this doesn't uh, count for us too. Okay? Okay. So Paul uses the word stand four times in this short passage of Scripture. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. 
and after he had done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. In scripture, when a word is repeated like that, it means, hey, take note of me. Get in, Tim. Come on back up. You guys, prayer is powerful because it's the way we connect with God and the way we live out our faith. If we say we're Christians and we're not praying, something is wrong. I said earlier, if we understood what prayer was, it would change the way we think about prayer. And prayer is that fundamental piece of our relationship to God. We talk to him, we listen for him, we commune with him. If you have a friendship or a dating relationship, you want to get to know them, right? You want to spend as much time with them as possible. You want to know their likes and their dislikes and their character. It's the same thing with God. If we truly love him, we will want to spend time with him in prayer and time getting to know him. Friends, life is hard, and we are not going to win this battle by accident. And life is a battle. We must fight so that we can remain standing. Everything that you and I have ever gone through, are going through now, or will go through in the future, everything that has happened to us, is happening to us, or will happen to us, God is going to use to refine us, to become his, to make us into his masterpiece. It's not always fun, it's not always glamorous, and man, it can be downright painful, right? But he hasn't forgotten us, he hasn't abandoned us, and he's right there in the middle of the battle with us. My prayer for you today, and my prayer for me today, is that we would long to spend time with God, even if that takes us being weary, burdened, or sick to even think about coming to God then so be it. When we are weary of ourselves, it is easier for us to surrender. It pushes us into prayer and praise and community more than our strength ever will. So let me ask you a question this morning. Is there an area in your life where you need to grow? Maybe it's trusting God. Maybe it's spending more time in his word or in prayer. Or maybe it's opening yourself up to someone else and being vulnerable. Is, it, is there an area where you need God's power to help you stand firm? Maybe in your marriage. Maybe it's to give up a nasty habit. Become a better friend, a better parent, a better co-worker. Is it with your finances or your goals and your dreams for your life? You need to confess something, you guys. Confession is so healthy. Are you just weary from life's battles? I don't know. I don't know what's going on with you today. But I know that prayer can help. So we're going to spend some time in prayer this morning. If you want to stay seated right where you are, you're free to do that. If you want to turn around in your chair and make your chair an altar, you're free to do that. If you want to come up to these steps and make them an altar, you're free to do that. But don't harden your heart to what God's saying to you today. Let's pray. Father God, I just um, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it just penetrates us right where we are. Lord, that it doesn't condemn us, that you don't condemn us. But God, you are making us into your masterpiece. You are not finished with us yet. Wherever we are right now is not where we will end up. Lord, give us hope. Help us to know, Lord, that our circumstances are just a season. 
God, I just pray for the people in here. Lord, I, the marriage retreat's coming up. And my heart is so heavy for marriages because I've, George and I have been in, a, in our marriage where things weren't good. We didn't even like each other. But Lord, you changed that. And God, I just pray that if there's marriages in here that are in trouble, Lord, that you would begin the, the refining work of change. God, that you would bring healing to those marriages. God, that you would enable them to see each other the way that you see them. God, I, I pray for those in here that are have lost a job or can't find a job and, and just don't know where their next paycheck is coming come from, where their next meal is going to come from, how they're going to pay the bills. God, would you enable them to look to you and not the problem? Would you let them know that you are the provider of all things and you will give them exactly what they need? It may not be in abundance right now, but it is always what we need. God, would you just help us to, to run every lie the enemy tells us through your word? God, when we, when we feel like we're not enough, or we feel like we've screwed up, or we feel like we could never be forgiven, or we feel like somebody else has all these gifts and all these talents and we don't have any, or whatever that lie is at the time, God, would you help us to open our Bibles and to see what you really say about us. You really say that we are enough. We are enough. And that your grace is sufficient for us, Lord. God, there's some people in here just feel hopeless. They just feel far away from you. Would you remind them that you didn't go anywhere? That you are still there. That you didn't move. We may have moved from you, God, but you didn't move. That you are not some God that's high in the heavens somewhere just directing traffic. But you are down here. That you are intimate in our lives. God, we praise you. We praise you that you love us enough not to leave us the same way we are. Oh, you love us right where we are. And you accept us right where we are. But you want us to look more like you. And God, I want to look more like you. I want us all to look more like you. And so God, may we give ourselves to you this morning. Here I am. Have your way. God, help us in this battle. Help us to stand firm. Help us to use your armor to be able to stand firm in who we are in you. Not in our own abilities, but who we are in you. We're going to sing, this is how I fight my battles. And I want you, when you, when you finish praying, I want you to stand up and sing it with all you've got. Because we fight our battles through God, right? Not through ourselves. It's the words say, I may think I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Amen.